All right, Sublation Media fans, uh, all of you listeners and viewers and readers out there, it's time for the Sublation Magazine show. I'm back. I'm replacing John Bunch this week. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about RFK Jr. and uh, the controversy around what he said um, regarding a Jewish conspiracy to make ethnically targeted bioweapons and the possibility that uh, COVID-19 was uh, ethnically uh, targeted. Um, in the chat, before we even began, people were asking or saying things like, I hope that this isn't going to be a defense of RFK, uh, trying to excuse anti-Semitism. And it isn't. It isn't. Um, it's gonna. We're going to try to neither defend nor defame RFK Jr. I'm not that interested in RFK Jr., uh, he's running as a Democrat. I don't vote for Democrats anymore. I'm not interested in Democrats for the most part. Uh, but I think it's worth going over what he actually said. And it's worth um, evaluating what the facts are that he was trying to refer to uh, in, in a way that was clumsy um, and misguided, I think. Uh, and uh, to kind of situate this in the current political moment rather than uh simply react so ashley i i wanted to start should we just start by running the clip you think okay are you surrounded Let's by barking it. okay All i'm right. surrounded Let's... by a barking dog <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> okay here we go here's a clip and we need to talk about bioweapons well i know a lot now about bioweapons because i've been doing a book on it for the past two and a half years and um uh, and you know the, the, what we the technology that we now have to develop these micro we have we've put hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, ethnically targeted microbes. The Chinese have done the same thing. In fact, COVID-19. There's an argument that it is ethnically targeted. COVID-19 attacks certain races um, disproportionately. Uh, the, the, the races that are most immune to COVID-19 are because of the, of the structure of the, of, um, the genetic structure of, of, of genetic differentials among different races of the, um, of the receptors of the ACE2 receptor. Um, COVID-19 is targeted to attack uh, Caucasians and and, uh, and uh, black people. The people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and, uh, and Chinese. And but we don't know whether it was deliberately targeted that or not, but there are papers out there that show the, you know, the, um, the racial and ethnic differential and of impact to that. We do know that the Chinese are spending hundreds of millions of dollars developing ethnic bioweapons, and we are developing ethnic bioweapons. That's what all those labs in the Ukraine are about. They're collecting Russian DNA. They're collecting Chinese DNA. Okay, so um, that's what he actually said. I'm, I'm watching the chat, and people are reacting um, appropriately in some ways. Uh, the main problem, before we um, started the stream about uh, maybe 45 minutes ago, you and I were discussing this, Ashley, and I want to start at, at the end of our conversation where you pointed out that 
there was no good reason for RFK to mention Jews at all in that conversation. Um, so let's start there. Yeah, so I, I think uh, I thought, you know, because of the typical way that there's just, I, I don't know, it gets my hackles up as soon as somebody says, I find that offensive, you know, I'm like, oh, well, what is it? Let me see, let me see. <laughs> and then I I, uh, I looked first at um, his defense on Twitter. And we'll come to that in a moment. And I thought, okay, so this was an off the record kind of discussion and someone jumped to conclusions. But then I saw that video and I just thought, well, he's trying to walk it back, right? I mean, he obviously prefaces the point with saying, well, there is an argument that, so he has a bit of critical distance from what he's saying. But he, he says that there is an argument that uh, that COVID-19 was, was ethnically targeted. And then he points to papers which say that um, certain racial groups are disproportionately affected, which is true. Diseases affect different, quote unquote, racial groups, different ethnicities, different you know people from different geographic areas, like sickle cell anemia, this sort of thing, affects people differently, uh, depending on your ethnic background. Well, true. So, but why then would he specifically point out if, if the argument that he was saying, you know, there is an argument for the fact that it's ethnically targeted and it spares some ethnic groups. Uh, and, you know, there's these there are these studies that show that uh, Ashkenazi Jews and other groups were uh, less affected by it. So why would he pull out Jews as the um, the group that is most likely to be spared if he wasn't making some kind of argument that there was a plot um, to develop bioweapons that spare particular groups or affect particular groups less, which I, I don't doubt that there are, you know, and he says that there is that um, the US government and different governments are trying to develop bioweapons. Um, and that's what you would want if you were going to develop bioweapons, right? You wouldn't want it to affect your own <laughs> group. But then to kind of say, to, to point to like, Jews as a category least affected clearly to me seem to point in that direction. I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> no, well, I mean, me. Daniel Jacobs in the chat says the reason he said Ashkenazi Jews were less effective is because he was citing an article that that indicated that. I mean, in but um, yes, this is this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. But before he so he just cites an article that says, look, there are all these different groups that are differently affected. But the point that he is making that that article is evidence of is that the that COVID-19 was engineered to affect particular groups disproportionately or less. Right. So he, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, the, he's drawing on a bunch of different sources. I don't know. I, that was the one article I couldn't find. Um, it wasn't you know, it wasn't linked to in the articles that I did find on this topic. Um, no, I mean, it's true that there's like all sorts of diseases that affect people well, differently. Well, well the, the, that's the not the argument is, that he was did making. The article, did the article in any way make any point at all about uh, bioweapons? Was the article making that point? Or was he drawing from data about the different uh, impact of COVID on different ethnic populations and then on his own, uh, bringing in the possibility that the the COVID nineteen was a ethnically targeted 
bioweapon. Well, we can we can play the clip again if you like. But from my recollection, he is saying that there is an argument that it, it was, uh, you know, genetically sorry that it was modified. And you know, there are, there are studies that show X. So he was drawing on different studies. As right. That's what I it seems like to can, me as well. We can play I mean, it I again if you want. No, we can play it again, but we won't really know because without looking at what the article actually said, we won't really know. But I suspect you're absolutely right. And so the there are a bunch of different questions. The first one that we're trying to answer right now is why did he choose that particular article to cite? Um, and why did he mention Jews particularly? And I think you you had a good answer. Uh, as to why, which is that when you are you you said in the chat that uh, that RFK's appeal and his strength is also his major weakness, which is that when you are kind of fearless and dare to tread where nowhere else no one else will tread and look beyond received opinion, um, you're likely to get pushed to the margins or only find other people on the margins to collaborate with. And those margins, those fringe uh, areas are just filled with uh, anti-Semitism the, the, because they become, uh, it's very easy for people to become focused on a conspiracy theory version of history and uh, to jump uh, to a conspiratorial framework to understand the world. So I, I, I suspect that he not that he believed necessarily that there was a Jewish conspiracy to make the COVID-19. He didn't, but just said it, uh, that nonetheless, the way his way of speaking about it implied that. And, uh, and probably because he's working within a milieu where that kind of thinking is common. That would be what I think. Yeah, I think, um, well, you were sort of jumping off of my point there, but I just, I, I think a few things are going on. Um, one is that, you know, as you say, if you, it's the, the very thing that makes some people great, that makes some people just the best thinkers. And, you know, we know this because we're always looking for great thinkers, right? We want them to write for our magazine, want them to write books for us. And um, you will often find people who are willing to question particular narratives. And that makes them just awesome. You know, they, they're, the, the, they're not afraid to say what other people are thinking and to really investigate it and take it to the logical conclusions as it makes them good. But it also can lead, easily lead you astray. It means that you're willing to give, you, you're shameless, you're fearless, you're willing to give the time of day to things that other people won't uh, entertain, ideas that other people won't entertain. So, you know, for some people, who are so afraid of coming off as a crank or, or, you know, never step foot outside the Overton window. You know, if you even, we, we were talking about this too, is that uh, even mentioning that there should be some kind of inquiry, uh, full and transparent inquiry into the origins of COVID, you come off as a bit of a crank. It sounds, it sounds kind of out there. Um, and so I think it's 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 kind of it's it's easy for these sorts of people to then you know as I was saying most people are afraid to do that but they're not but then they'll they'll sort of countenance some of these ideas and then the second thing that I think is going on is and it was the same point that I made about um, accusations of anti-Semitism within labor in the UK so I looked through the some of the things that the allegations were about you know tweets and messages and so on. And what struck me 
is that what scared me is that they didn't realize, they didn't even realize that what they were saying could be construed as anti-Semitic. Um, it was the socialism of fools. They had such bad politics. They didn't understand that referring to plots of global elites as your, like, <laughs> that's your political economy can easily lead you down this path of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And then, of course, a healthy dose of criticism of Israel. And you had people saying all sorts of things that, you know, could make a, a Jewish person easily very uneasy. <laughs> but this, this is what happens if you are the kind of person who, one, is willing to question narratives. Um, you can kind of go too far sometimes. Or, or, or maybe, I don't know if it's too far. Maybe it's okay to entertain these ideas, but you got to tie a rope around your waist and come back up, <laughs> you know? And the, the second thing is that if you don't have a solid foundation or an anchor for your politics, um, where you have a really black and white version of the world, it's easy to start to, if you have this really moralistic vision, where it's like these bad people that do bad things and we good people that do good things. And this is like the, you know, the rich or, you know, eat the rich and all this sort of kind of superficial ideas that kind of can pass as leftism. It's very easy to start thinking that, um, you know, that there are plots led by certain people, you know, and that this can lead to like murals on walls of hook nosed uh, global plotters, you know. So I think if you have no political economy on top of being willing to question official narratives, this is what can happen. Yeah, I, I um I wanted to say that uh, I agree with you, and um, uh, also that when I said before, that's what I think. I wasn't trying to claim your thought uh, as original <laughs> with me. It's just that you are so no. compelling and convincing that <laughs> I, I I often. We'll just find no, actually, I was trying to you. distance myself from you, Doug, because you took it further than I did. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. I see. Um, but OK, so uh, but look, OK, so now we've 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 made it clear that the implication in what um, RFK uh, Jr. was saying at that dinner would be something that we think he, he should walk back from. He did walk back from it. Um, I don't think that he uh truly believes secretly that there really is some big Jewish conspiracy. Uh, he's a supporter of Israel, as far as I know. Um, uh, I, I would say that that was, you know, all, all that would be necessary in a sane world would, would be for him to come forward and say, listen, uh, you know, that, that off the cuff comment that I made at the dinner, it can easily be be misconstrued. I apologize for that. And and then he should be able to return to his actual point, whatever it might be. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's not entirely clear. Um, but if you look into uh, the topic, if, if you look into bioweapons and uh, the idea of ethnically targeted bioweapons, that has been something that has seemed feasible since at least 1999. Um, the Chinese government has accused the United States government of creating bioweapons, and the U.S. government is concerned about Chinese efforts in that direction. Um, as far as COVID-19 goes, uh, the PLA was funding the Wuhan lab in conjunction with the NIH. Um, so they were there. There is some evidence that at least they had 
the, the Wuhan lab had received funding to create a bioweapon, whether they were actually doing that is unclear. Um, there's no evidence at all that that was funding for a ethnically targeted bioweapon. Um, but what I would say is that, uh, and this is, I was reading Substack, reading Schellenberger, and he pointed out that um, the Bioweapons Convention Treaty contains a loophole because countries can continue to store pathogens that could be used to create bioweapons, ethnically targeted or not, if they uh, are, are doing so to create prophylactics against infection. In other words, if they're doing gain-of-function research in order to perhaps create vaccines or to help create vaccines, they can continue to store pathogens that could then also be used, have a dual use, um, to create a bioweapon. Uh, so one of the takeaways, I think, from all of this uh, controversy would be that there should be serious concern about the development of bioweapons. Gain-of-function research should be ended. And, uh, you know, and, the, and it's unfortunate that uh, only one political candidate appears to be talking about this issue and that the issue is being pushed aside uh, based on the implied anti-Semitism in his unfortunate description at a, at a dinner rather than you know, taking up the substance of the concern that he was raising. Yeah, um, I think that, that there's, I think both things can kind of be true, right? So he made this very unfortunate, but um, incredibly useful slip up. <laughs> um, so it now becomes anti-Semitic to kind of have this sort of discussion, which is a nice little, a nice little smokescreen, even though I do think, even though I do think that what he said was unintentionally anti-Semitic. I, mm. I think, I think there's, there's grounds for that. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, as soon as I saw, like, you know, the story came up and I looked at the, the you know, news on Google and all of the headlines are like, he's anti-Semite of the week and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and even the the news stories were describing him as becoming increasingly animated as he spoke, you know. So they were really sort of bigging it up. Um, and I just thought, um, you know, there is. You know, there, I, I don't have any difficulty believing that a loophole was exploited to develop bioweapons. Absolutely. Um, and now uh, it might be very difficult to have that kind of conversation in society. I want to throw this comment on the screens. Uh, Yanos uh, Maruthi says, good thing there's zero evidence COVID is a bioweapon, gain of function research or no. So this is all a huge red herring. Actually, yeah. no, that's not the case. Um, <laughs> the PLA uh, was funding the Wuhan lab um, uh, and the PLA was funding the Wuhan lab to create a, a, a weapon. I mean, that, that I, I was, there's no other reason for the military to be funding the Wuhan lab. Um, whether or not a bioweapon was created or whether or not the, uh, if there was um, Gain of function research done on back coronaviruses, which the back coronaviruses were collected, uh, and the the funding was provided for that research, both from the NIH and from PLA. But there's no substantial evidence to indicate that it actually happened. 
there is some circumstantial evidence that uh, COVID appeared first in the lab, uh, that the first people to get sick were uh, workers in the lab. Um, so there is some evidence that bioweapon research was taking place in the Wuhan lab. Uh, not conclusive evidence, but some evidence. And some say there's zero evidence that COVID is a bioweapon is simply wrong. Um, but it's certainly not conclusive that it, even that COVID was the product of gain-of-function research and definitely leaked from the lab. But I would say that evidence that we do have the best evidence we do have points in that direction pretty strongly. Um, so that's that's all I want to say about that. Okay. Then <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can, and I should put a link to the interview I did with Ryan Grimm on this topic, who's been very good at covering it for The Intercept. Um, and he spells out, you know, the evidence and the documentation demonstrating that PLA was funding the research in the Wuhan lab in the interview and in his own intercept article. And you can find links to the documents uh, around the funding um, in his reporting. Yeah. But as one of the commenter points out, the, there are lots of reasons to fund research besides um, deliberately engineering a bioweapon that is going to be released. <laughs> there is lots of reasons to fund research. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of reasons for the PLA to do it. Um, so, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, do, I don't think that it was um, a weapon. I, I don't think that it, I don't think it was, um, you know, an intentional, something that was intentionally leaked. Um, and I think it was a bad weapon if it was one. But then again, you never know, like, what would the purpose of doing something like that be? And we've obviously on this channel, um, you know, aired views of, of people like Fabio Vigi, who thinks that was at least extremely fortuitous for global capital, um, which I also think. The, the other thing to say case. is that the, the idea that a project to um, weaponize a back coronavirus could have led to uh, the virus leaking from the lab is not to say that that, that COVID-19 was the final product of a bioweapons research effort. You know, uh, the the just to make it infectious um, in humans could have been a first step. I mean, it it uh, there's no, but what we do know is that weaponization research was funded in the Wuhan lab. I'm pretty sure that that is conclusive. So, anyways, um, I think now now you're starting to convince me that maybe RFK is onto something. No, I'm I'm not <laughs> saying that. <laughs> No, okay. Look, regardless of whether or not um, whether or not it was, you know, deliberately engineered or whatever, I, I mean, it seems to have. Um, it seems to me that the main issue here is whether or not saying so is a anti-Semitic conspiracy. Because who would then, I think the implication was that behind it would be like an Israeli Chinese, what would be the implication there? That it's an Israeli Chinese plot? There's zero evidence for that. <laughs> um, so why then would it, you know, deliberately be engineered not to kind of affect particular groups? I mean, as I said, you know, all diseases affect particular groups differently for socioeconomic reasons or for um, reasons of, you know, uh, 
a population being in a particular area for a long period of time means that they will have particular characteristics that make them more or less susceptible to particular diseases because, you know, the people who were susceptible all died <laughs> and the people who had some sort of random trait that meant that they weren't lived. Okay, so this happens all the time and it could be that it was, you know, deliberately engineered for this purpose and then just by chance it would affect particular groups differently in addition to the ones that were targeted. Um, but I, I think this is, um, I think this is quite far down the path of, of conspiratorial thinking that. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I agree. And, and the, um, there's no evidence at all that the COVID-19, that, there, that uh, COVID-19 was an, a bioweapon designed to be ethnically targeted. There's that's, that doesn't, I've, I've seen nothing to indicate that um, uh, there's uh, so I, I don't think that anyone who would make the claim uh, the strong claim that that's the case should be trusted there or should be certainly shouldn't be believed because um, they're wrong. There's no evidence for that. Um, but there is evidence that ethnically targeted bioweapons are on people's minds. That's something that people are concerned about within the U.S. and Chinese intelligence communities. Um, and there certainly is evidence that gain-of-function research uh, can be used to create bioweapons and uh, that, it, in fact, there was funding in that direction um, in the Wuhan lab. So, so what I think we should worry about is like, a, like transparency around the investigation into the origins of covid um and the ending of gain of function research and the enforcement of uh the uh, uh conventions on bioweapons um and and if there is a complicity between two uh countries not ethnic groups but countries it would be complicity between the chinese and the united states i mean i it, you know, it is extremely unlikely, seems to be extremely unlikely to me anyway, that that the United States government didn't know that the Wuhan lab that they were funding to do gain of function research was also being used by the PLA to do the same research in, you know, with the intent of creating bioweapons. And, you know, I, I don't know if I'm jumping to conclusion here, <laughs> but it seems to me that given that that's a known loophole to, to do this kind of research in the name of prof developing prophylactics, I think there may have been a joint effort between the Chinese and the United States government to develop bioweapons. Um, not beyond the realm of possibility. All these, uh, you know, world leaders and countries really are kind of all on the same side ultimately. So, um, and it's a game played between the, the establishments around the world. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, uh, uh, I may, now, now I'm uh, definitely jumping to a conspiracy theory of my own here, <laughs> but, um, but that's where the evidence would seem to point. I and mean, we do know that the, the, uh, the NIH was funding gain of function research and that the PLA was, and that the whole Wuhan lab was a joint effort between the two countries. And that the gain of function research is a great way to continue to develop bioweapons when you you know aren't technically creating bioweapons hmm. but of course like i mean they should if that was the case they should have been smarter because um with sars for instance 
it's quite a wonderful story how quickly they managed to trace the origins of that virus and to what level of detail they managed to trace the origins of that virus all the way down to a button on an elevator, which then led, of course, to the original um, jump from animals to humans. Um, and with COVID, they weren't really able to do that. And we talked about this before, where it's become one of those things where it's like, maybe we'll never know. <laughs> um, but they should have known that um, being able to trace the origins of a virus is the first thing that you do when you are trying to deal with a global pandemic. So they would have known that it would get traced back if it was something deliberate, you know? Um, and so I think like that, you know, I got time for the lab leak theory, but I, I definitely... I, you know, somebody, one of our commenters put it very well. I don't doubt that bioweapons are being developed. Absolutely. Right. And I and, and I don't doubt that um, being able to target them to particular populations would be a key area of research, certainly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, would involve some plausible deniability because all diseases have these kinds of profiles. But I don't think that it's plausible that COVID was one of these. Well, um, <laughs> Someone says COVID was a weapon. What was it? Stefan says COVID was a weapon targeted against 90 year olds in order to fix up the West pen pension balance. <laughs> look, my, I, I, I want to uh, look up the original documents, but my understanding is that the Wuhan lab, the researcher, the very same researcher who apparently got sick first, received funding to weaponize. Uh, viruses in the Wuhan lab. That's from the from the PLA, uh, you know. So that doesn't mean that the research was completed. It certainly doesn't mean that COVID was a product of that research. Um, uh, it doesn't prove that conclusively. Uh, but if you know, I should look at the document again. To, but it was this, the I believe that it was you know, funding to work on back coronaviruses. Um, so uh, it, I think what we can say hap likely happened is that gain-of-function research funded by the United States government and the PLA uh, led to a lab leak due to low safety standards that, and that the virus, you know, probably, you know, was a product of that research. Not that it was, a, you know, fully refined, developed bioweapon that was released on purpose or anything like that. But the evidence we have indicates that it's likely that research to create a bioweapon and gain-of-function research for other purposes funded by the United States, so-called, uh, cr created a lab accident, which, which that, that is a likely scenario. I mean, yeah, I think that that that's 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 certainly plausible. That's certainly plausible. Um, but I think also I, I promised uh, viewers that we would come back to um, what RFK Jr. tried to say he meant in his uh, in his comments. And it's very odd that he should have um, uh, that he should have tried to kind of rationalize what he said in this particular way. And I'm not sure if he was aware that a video was going around, but the video clearly shows that he, this is not what oh, he, he was saying. He, he knew that the video was out there. It was published. No, of course. Widely. So it was, such a, it was such a strange kind of thing to attempt to deny. 
But he said that um, he was only pointing to the fact that this is what governments are doing. He doesn't think that COVID-19 was deliberately engineered as a bioweapon. And he doesn't, he definitely doesn't think that it was deliberately engineered to uh, target particular races or exclude particular so-called, I should say, so-called races. Yes, I do say so-called races because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going down this path of like, anyway. Um, can, so I, can, he I, he, can I address hmm. a comment here? I'm sorry. Yeah. Someone says, how do you account for reports of the virus in Europe predating the Chinese outbreak? It didn't predate the Chinese outbreak. Um, it coincided roughly with the Chinese outbreak. Um, the, the, what you have uh, are analysis of sewage water in Italy uh, that showed some of the COVID, some, some COVID virus in it. Um, I think that the, that was from around November and December, if I'm remembering correctly, of 2019. Um, early October, late September is when the virus would have escaped from the lab. And there were Italian athletes in Wuhan um, around that time that possibly could have gotten infected and spread it back to Italy. So um, uh, there's nothing in the reports about the virus in Europe that precludes the possibility based on a timeline of um, the, a Chinese outbreak. It certainly doesn't demonstrate uh, the lab leak hypothesis, but it doesn't preclude it from being the, the facts. All right. Yeah, and also there's a very interesting story about that as to why it went to Italy first. I'm not sure if anybody knows this, but um, that a lot of the factories were bringing in huge numbers of Chinese workers so that they could continue to say made in Italy, all of the designer clothing oh. brands. Yeah. Um, and because so, it's cheaper to sort of have a, a ton of poorly paid um, immigrants from China than it is to um, actually manufacture your stuff in Italy. So. Fun fact about global capitalism. Okay, so um, he says that it, it was a he. What he was saying is that COVID was a proof of concept. Um, so I'll read you the whole. I'll read you the whole tweet. He says the yeah. New York Post story is mistaken. I have never ever suggested that the COVID nineteen virus was targeted to spare Jews. I accurately pointed out during an off the record conversation that the U.S. and other governments are, are developing ethnically targeted bioweapons and that a 2021 study of the COVID-19 virus shows that COVID-19 appears to disproportionately affect certain races since the, I'm not sure if I'm saying this correctly, furin cleave docking site is most compatible with Blacks and Caucasians and least compatible with ethnic Chinese Finns and Ashkenazi Jews. In that sense, it serves as a kind of proof of concept for ethnically targeted bioweapons. I do not believe and never imply that the ethnic effect was deliberately engineered. That study is here. And he links to the study. And the study says nothing, of course, about um, bioweapons, just that it, there are particular um, genetic susceptibilities between different ethnic groups. That's it. So again, um, he pointed to the fact that it disproportionately affects particular groups and drew out <laughs> Jews. But so when he says it this way, it's like, okay, so, and then he goes on to say, and this is quite important because if they're able to develop uh, bioweapons that can target Jews and black people, there are obvious reasons for Jews and black people to be quite afraid of that. Mm. Um, but that's not, if you look at the clip after reading that, 
you can see that he's trying desperately to walk it back and reframe his ideas because he says there is an argument that COVID-19 itself was genetically engineered. And then he uses that study, which he has in his tweet, to say, look, it really does affect particular groups. Yeah, Let's I mean, look, there are tons instance. of reasons to walk back that the, the idea that COVID-19 was a, an, uh, a, a bioweapon that was ethnically targeted because the prime, like the, the for instance, the reason why African-Americans in the United States were disproportionately uh, made sick by COVID-19 or, or, or more likely to even die from COVID-19 than, than other populations has as much to do with both age and comorbidities as anything else. And, and, and of course, that has to do with uh, class and, and the overall health of the, the black population in America. So um, there's, there's no particular reason to think that it was the genetics. Um, and even when you say that it was the genetics, what you're talking about are, uh, is, is the possibility of creating a weapon that would specifically target people with particular comorbidities. So you're, you're looking for people who are genetically predisposed. It would be like more likely to uh, negatively impact people who were genetically predisposed to, uh, for um, cardiovascular issues, issues, right? Well, I mean, you know, that's a stretch to think that was intentional rather than, than not, I think. So, um, but that's the, that's the claim is that perhaps it was targeted uh, at people who were susceptible to other illnesses. Um, and I just, there's very little strong evidence in that direction at all. No. And of course, there's all sorts of things you probably couldn't have known until it went into the population that there seemed to be something to do with vitamin D. This is what happens with with all viruses, you know, and that's what that's why human beings still exist in the form that we exist in, <laughs> that our ancestors were either killed or immunized or possessed some kind of chance mutation that, you know, helped us to survive this particular thing. And that's it, really. Um, <laughs> um, that's that's the, why we our skin color changes as you go further north. You know, as human populations went north, I'm sure everybody knows this. You don't need to hear me say it, but um, you know, you need uh, you need more vitamin D, or else you get rickets. And that's a pretty quick way of selecting of of pushing a population toward lighter lighter, darker skin skin colors, depending on where you are. Anyways, this is just the way that that you know human variation and, and change works. The idea that, you know, you, you deliberately engineer a virus to take hold of all of these myriad chance things is just utter madness. And also like, you know, the more I think about it, the idea of like ethnically targeting bioweapons would be very, very difficult because within populations, you see more variation than between populations. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like you, it would only be a statistical gain maybe like you're not targeting you wouldn't be targeting let's say you're targeting african-americans you wouldn't be targeting every african-american all you're doing is targeting the slightly more probable uh you know the the the, the basically you'd be targeting people within that population that happen to have certain uh genetically uh, ge certain genetic predisposition towards a disease for instance so what you can say about different ethnic populations that there's a difference in the likelihood of those genetic predispositions to appear. But that doesn't mean that every black person in, would have that predisposition at all. 
Um, so it wouldn't be targeted to. It'd be everybody out. who whose like genetic history was like in that particular area for a period of time during which some population stressor existed. That would be who you would end up targeting. So, and people use this as an ex as a reason for race being real. They're like, well, we know that particular diseases. Um, that certain quote unquote races are more susceptible to particular diseases, but like, like sickle cell anemia is the common example, but people who live in areas with malaria, um, you know, you wind up with immunity to sickle cell anemia or more like, or have more chances of getting it depending on where, you know, what population you came from. And it, you know, if you had malaria carrying mosquitoes, it doesn't mean that there's something about your skin color and your like phenotype that makes you more likely or less likely to have a particular disease in a particular area. So just by virtue, I mean, of targeting these sort of markers that have to do with populations being around a particular stressor means that like you're going to target, I don't know, let's say North Africans and you're going to accidentally hit Greeks. <laughs> you know? This is just by virtue of the the geography and the history of those areas. So I don't know. I'm sure that the scientists know a great deal more than I do, me just teaching medical sociology or publishing medical sociology for a long time. But it seems to me to be rather a, a rather strange kind of pathway and a dangerous and destructive and reckless pathway for weapons research, if that's what you're trying to do. Right. And so I want to point out what Daniel says here, which is that the mainstream media politicizes everything as racial, anti-Semitic, xenophobic, um, and it, it they don't they don't only do that. They also politicize everything as uh, Russian disinformation. Um, but the, the 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 I do think it's worth noting how much time we spent talking about um, whether or not race is real, which I don't believe it is, or, uh, you know, whether or not there's a, a grand Jewish conspiracy, of course there isn't, um, rather than talking about the actual evidence that we have around where COVID came from and how we should address future pandemics and what level of transparency and accountability we should expect from our own government, um, you know, which yeah, well, was Doug, it's because you can't open the Overton window. It's tremendously hot outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's too far outside the bounds of acceptable debate. <laughs> and I don't know what, what it would take to kind of be able to talk about that without sounding like a crank. And this is kind of part of the issue here that so much of it. I was just talking to Thomas Fazi the other day, and he was saying that, um, you know, he's got a book out on um, on COVID. And uh, he was like, yeah, the timing of it is terrible. Uh, nobody wants to talk about COVID anymore. You know, even just to talk about it, even just to want to like go back and talk about it, you sound like uh, a conspiracy theorist. And that, that strikes me as something very strange about our society and very dangerous, that this huge thing happened that dominated our lives for two years. And, the, you know, the cliche, the word that everyone was using and was going to the thesaurus, eventually trying to find a new one was unprecedented and all of a sudden no one wants to talk about it there's no appetite to go over what happened or the only appetite at least in the uk to go over what happened wasn't to even inquire about whether or not lockdowns were the right course of action but whether or not certain people followed them enough you know we're actually retrospectively applying the rules much more stringent stringently than we did at the time and then and then as I, you know, I talked to Laura Dodsworth on my podcast recently, and she's got a book coming out, uh, out now. Um, so, you know, head over to my channel, 
<laughs> Ashley A. Farley. Mm -hmm. uh, and I talked to Laura Dodsworth and, and she said something very interesting um, that what really bothered her was when she was doing all of these interviews, she spoke to people and she said, you know, what lessons did you learn? Uh, and they were like, well, we know that we can change people's behavior now. We know that we can, uh, particular methods that work, and we can use this to change their behavior around climate change, that we can do extreme things for behavior change to affect climate change. Mm -hmm. and, and she thought that was really interesting because also she asked them, like, how do you, how do you walk it back? Like, you scared the heck out of people. Um, do you have any plans for sort of de-escalating the situation? They looked at her like she was crazy. They're like, no, this is a wonderful situation. <laughs> this is like the best possible situation we have. We have people who are scared and therefore malleable and pliable. And we just, the we just need to figure out how to use this best. What's the best course of action that we can use this? That's the appetite going forward is how to use these wonderful techniques that we've learned and how we've managed to corral the population in a particular way and to use them for the next issue. Yeah, I, um, I, I think that the idea that people don't want to return, I mean, I think it's possible that people don't want to think about COVID because they're just so happy not to be locked down and, and mm -hmm. feel like it's over. And they're worried possibly unconsciously that if they do start paying attention to that whole issue again, they'll discover it hasn't really ended and people are still dying in droves and they just would rather not worry about that. Um, that's possible. but. Uh, but I also think that it's very difficult to tell what there's an appetite for and what people want to think about and what they want to hear about uh, and what they want to discuss when we know there's been a massive effort to control the, the, the conversation around COVID-19, that there was a, 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 a huge censorship effort um, created by multiple branches of the U.S. government run through nonprofits and NGOs with the full cooperation of the social media companies and the media companies. Um, and, you know, RFK represents that. That's why he's important right now. It's not because he's going to get the nomination. It's not because he's the best candidate out there or the most clear thinking candidate um, or the, you know, uh, he's not probably someone you should rely on to get uh, your science scientific information about vaccines from, I wouldn't say so. The reason why you should, he's important is because he was, uh, he represents the millions of people who were censored by the state during the COVID lockdown. Um, and he represents the, the rights of people to have these kinds of debates. Um, that's why he has power behind him is because people do care. That's why he's, polling at 20% despite sounding like my grandma it is because he uh, represents the the portion of the American uh, public who doesn't like it when the state steps in and steps on their speech rights and tries to control what they think. Um, and that's, that's all he, that's really all he's about uh, in the popular imagination. Um, I haven't in, he, in, as Daniel said, he's not going to get, uh, uh, the nomination. So, you know, we shouldn't be that concerned about that. But the way that the Democratic Party is treating him indicates, I think, the way the Democratic Party wants to treat everyone who doesn't get in line with their uh, agenda and support, you know, uh, the established powers, which not just the Democratic Party, but the neoconservatives and the security state. 
So um, that's why I think it's worth, in a way, defending RFK. Not his statements, not the not not the implications of his statements, but his right to speak. Yeah, I mean, in this particular case, he he is rather unfortunate in um, kind of walking and crossing that line, um, which, you know, it was an unguarded conversation that he didn't know was being recorded. As far as I'm aware, he didn't know that was being recorded. Um, but it is part of it is their playbook. You know, it's basically manna for, from heaven for these people where, you know, anybody who doesn't toe the line gets smeared with the language of um, diversity and inclusion. Um, and they, these people don't care about inclusion. It's just another one of their buzzwords that ticks the right boxes, makes them sound wonderfully sensible. Um, and it's it's completely transparent. And in fact, in the UK, one of the um, big issues in the news this week was um, Coots Bank, uh, which is an exclusive bank for people who have over a million pounds in assets, recently debanked Nigel Farage, who is well known for being, you know, anti-immigrant and this sort of thing, uh, and pro-Brexit and all of that. And in their documents about why they they uh, decided to debank him was, uh, we are an inclusive organization and his values do not align with ours. <laughs> This, this organization, this is the joke that's been going around, that is the most exclusive you probably could get, um, you know, actually deliberately expose themselves to bad publicity because in that uh, in those notes, they say he will, what are the risks if we debank him? And says he'll probably go public. Um, but they deliberately expose themselves to that risk because ostensibly he doesn't fit with their values. And do you know what? Actually, I said a moment ago, I said it's, they don't really care and they don't really believe in these things. But I do wonder, actually, if they've drunk their own Kool-Aid. <laughs> that if they they kind of, perhaps they've convinced themselves that they can get a free pass to do what they want because they uh, are doing the right thing by being inclusive, because they've got rainbow flags and are furthering this agenda and teaching people the right ways to think and feel and behave. And so what does it matter if they do some business with some Saudi princes here and there for the greater good? You know, um, I do wonder if perhaps they they do believe what they're saying. Maybe. I mean, that's the worst case scenario is that they're not they're not just sort of cynically saying the right things and putting out the right PR packet so that they can get themselves into power for a few years. Perhaps they really believe in what they're doing. <laughs> so nothing will stop them. You know, I, last night you told me you were going to talk about this. And I said that I would try to look into British law to see if they were violating it um, by debanking Farage. Um, but I didn't get a chance to, cause I got caught up in this RFK business and also editing a video um for wednesday or thursday thir thursday um you know there's going to be a, another um congressional hearing i love congressional hearings they're the best and <laughs> um this one is on uap it's also known as ufos it's coming wednesday so the big moment where we discover that uh the aliens are amongst us is coming on wednesday and i'm making a video um as a thought experiment as to what if what would it mean if this guy David Grush is telling the truth, so people can look forward to discovering what I think it would mean um, if it is true that you know the truth that's out there comes home. 
Um, but if we're going to say a couple more things about RFK, I actually want to address something that. This sure. So, said. well, Please. we'll go, we'll, we'll go, go into the, we'll go into that debanking story and also you Les, and continue talking about RFK in the, in the Patreon. So go ahead. Yeah, and let's, so let's do we need that. to finish it up here? Okay. I just want to yeah. say, Lee says that RFK seems to be getting quite a lot of opportunity to speak right now. And the reason why is because we're not a one party state. Um, if the Democratic Party had had its way, he would not have been given the right to speak at the congressional hearing. Um, and he would not be given a platform in the United States. And certainly there will be no debate uh, between RFK and Biden uh, during the primaries. Um, so, you know, as awful as the Republicans are, and they are awful, uh, we should be grateful that we aren't a one-party state um, because uh, that the, the, the conflict between the parties is why little pockets open up for, for and we're not just all, you know, a human face being stamped on by a boot forever. And there's my big Orwellian finish. Okay. Well, I want, I think that this particular, um, and uh, this particular comment is a good summing up of my position on this is that RK Jr. has a right to speak his mind, but I think people also have a right to call him a crank. We should oppose DNC efforts to silence him, but he is still spreading racist ideas and should be called out. Now, I don't know about the whole like racist ideas and should be called out. I think that we should look, instead of just calling it out, we should look deeper at what, how people kind of can be led in, down these pathways. Um, I don't think that people are, that when they do this sort of thing, they're driven by a kind of irrational, irrational hatred. I think that when you are missing that anchor for your politics and it's, it becomes excessively moralistic, it's very easy um, to imagine that all that goes wrong is goes wrong because of plots uh, or power struggles or whatever. And you, if you are too excessively focused on people rather than systems, it's very easy to start to say things that sound quite conspiratorial. That's right. Um, we can talk about the dictatorship of the proletariat and whether that would be a one-party state in the in the next uh, in the Patreon. Uh, also. Um, I want to talk to you, Ashley, about why you didn't even mention that I've gotten a haircut and a new pair of I did notice. I did notice. I did notice, actually. And I, I actually redid my hair, but I totally forgot that flipping... My favorite color is green, by the way, blue-green. So I'm always trying to do my hair blue-green. But uh, my hair doesn't like blue-green, and nor does the green screen. So I'm trying to hide it at the moment. I've ruined the beautiful red. But, Doug, you look dashing. You look Thank tremendous. Thank you. My girlfriend said that I look like Ira Glass. <laughs> <laughs> if, I'm not sure if that's good or not but i'm going for the blue state you know audience now i'm trying to look non-threatening you know when very reasonable i figure these glasses might do the trick um also we have a new uh uh intro and outro for for the uh for sublation magazine so yeah so tell us down below if you like it and mm -hmm. if you uh want the old one back so yeah, give us your votes down below and join us in the Patreon where we will discuss um, climate justice versus economic justice, debanking Nigel Farage, and what we really think about RFK. Come on, is there is there a conspiracy? Well, we kind of went there by mistake. So join us in the Patreon. <laughs>